Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. This word in your ear is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. And NordVPN, just remind me once more, Mark, because it often slips my mind what the V, the P, and the N actually stand for. Whereas it never slips my mind. It's Virtual Private Network, David. Just say it Make once a note more. of that. Virtual Private Network. Maybe I won't have to ask you in future. Maybe you finally dinned it into me. Yeah. And you probably also know that it's a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in either at home or abroad. A VPN can protect your identity and encrypt your data so that nobody can steal your identity. And at the same time, it gives you access to the internet via servers in more than 50, count them, 50 different countries. This means you can often sidestep region restrictions and stream movies and TV programs from all around the world. Talking of um, TV programs from all around the world, have you seen Mr. In-Between? No, 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 no. Fill me uh, in. Let me, uh, let me recommend it to you. It describes itself as a dark comedy. And if you can imagine a cross between, you know, Saxondale, the thing yeah. where... Coogan paid, a, Coogan play, paid a, a former roadie who had anger issues. It's a cross between that and, I don't know, Reservoir Dogs or something. It's an Australian uh, production. And starring this guy who also wrote it called Scott Ryan, who's just really remarkable central figure. You can't take your eyes off him um, because he's capable of enormous acts of compassion and generosity to his nearest and dearest and acts of utterly repellent violence against people who he's engaged to rub out. And it sounds gripping. It's very interesting in the sense that I often find myself looking at movies and going, why do actors nowadays just love playing kind of gangsters and violent parts? When clearly their personal experience of violence is, you know, 
purely theoretical. You know, they haven't fought in a war or anything. They none of these none of these actors have been in a punch up in a pub or anything like that. None of them have been anywhere near any football violence or anything. But they, you know, they play this kind of thing. Where's this guy, Scott Ryan? You look at him and think he could do anything. He really could do anything. You can't take your eyes off him. Uh, so that's my personal so recommendation. So he's utterly convincing as a kind of gangster thug. Utterly convincing. You think, oh, my God, what's he going to do? Is he going to hug me or is he going to, you know... Knife me. <laughs> absolutely. You would not know because he's utterly charming. Anyway, um, so you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com, your ear, or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount of your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free and also a bonus gift. So it's risk-free. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Full details in the show notes below. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Do you know what we were doing 20 years ago tonight, Mark? I'm pretty sure you were there. Oh, my God. Where were we? 20, so... And I'll tell you where it was. We were at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. Oh, Dixie Chick? No. The Dixie Chick. Oh, my goodness. It was 20 me. years ago tonight. Yes, it we was. Went, we went along out of curiosity to see the Dixie Chicks. It was kind of the hot new thing in pop country. The and they made a, 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 a off-the-cuff remark. The slightest remark about, about George, George Bush. Bush. He came from Texas and they came from Texas. They just wanted to make it clear they were, they were a bit they embarrassed They were particularly proud. Him. It was yeah. so off-the-cuff. You know, there was nobody in the room went, ooh, they've gone a bit you know, And they would never have done that on home turf. They just did it because they were in the Shepherd's Bush Empire. I yeah. was really, reading about the thing, thing about it today and saying it was the, the beginning of... Cancel culture. Yeah, it was. It was. was, Absolutely. The idea that your career could be absolutely torpedoed by one chance meant nothing. They had to go away and eat the most enormous quantities of humble pie. Unbelievable. They came back. Do you remember they appeared on the cover of, was it News? Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment Weekly. With a naked, naked painted with slogans. Slogans all over them. Uh, yeah, so that ultimately was, changed their name also to just the chicks, but the that was chicks. a different thing. But I yeah. mean, that's just part of it. I can't believe they're still going actually. <laughs> but that was the first time I can remember somebody's name just being completely decimated overnight. Yeah, it just became mud. Whereas now, the world we live in, it happens just about yeah. twice a week, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, um, it's just absolutely extraordinary. We, how are we to know that we were sitting there at the birth of a of a new um, cultural poison, I suppose. Completely. <laughs> but we were. That's I feel great years, sympathy for them. 20 years ago tonight. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So did you read uh, the other day that uh, Gary Rossington of, uh, of Lyndon Skinner... <laughs> He's so our podcast, isn't it? We're talking about Lyndon Skinner. How many other people in the world are gathered together talking about Lyndon Skinner? Anyway, Gary Rossington died, and he was the last surviving member of um, Lyndon Skinner. That, I was surprised at that. I, yeah, I know. Well, actually, there was that terrible thing in 1977 where I think two of, two of them and, and the backing scene were killed in a plane crash, weren't they? Yeah. But no, anyway, they, I mean, they seem relatively young, actually, obviously, because, uh, but it made me think, who, 
which other groups now have absolutely no more original members? I know that there's no crickets left. There's no Ramones. Have all the crickets gone? All the crickets have died. There are no Ramones. Elvis Presley's band are all dead. DJ Fontana, Scotty Moore, Bill Black. No Motorhead. The classic lineup, Fast Eddie Clark and um, Filthy Animal Taylor and obviously Ron Lemmy. There are no members of the Jimi Hendrix experience. I don't think there's any drifters left. It's very hard with groups like that to work L-L, out. Well, yeah, it's very Ooh, they, You know, it's like the same with the, originals, with the yeah. coasters. I mean, I can't really work it out. I think yeah. one of the original members of the coasters is still alive. Four tops are still one... Yeah, no, Duke Fake here. Yeah, he's a He wrote his autobiography not long ago, didn't he? There are no members of Emerson, Lake and Powell alive. Carl Palmer is still alive, obviously. Oh, right, isn't that? But Emerson, Lake and Powell, all dead. And there is only one member of Cream. There's only one member of the Small Faces, I think. So, listeners, we are asking you. You'd be right. Let us know. Is that right? Yeah, we'll be right about the Small Faces. Are there any... I was amazed. I was amazed to um, reflect that the shadows are, you know, most of the shadows are still with us. I think maybe three of them are. Three of the kind of original, yeah, 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 uh, you know, hit making band. um, Well, and not quite, yeah, it depends how far back you go, but, you know, Hank Marvin, uh, Bruce Welsh, and Ryan Bennett, the drummer. are still with us, which is amazing. Of course, you tend to think of the shadows as belonging to a different generation from the beat groups of the 60s because they had hits, you know, three or four years before the beat groups of the 60s. Yeah. Because they weren't different generations at all. The shadows came down to London from, uh, I think, Stockton on Tees, which is where Hank, Hank Marvin and Bruce Welsh came from. They came down to London to make their fortune pretty much when they were 16. <laughs> they packed up their guitars, you know, got on the train. They got cheap uh, rail travel because their fathers both worked on the railways, as everybody did on Stockton on Tees, and, and came down uh, to make their fortune and lived in a, lived in a theatrical digs in Finsbury Park. It's just absolutely extraordinary. You know, if you think... If a 16-year-old was sent off to London uh, nowadays to make the fortune, you'd think, shouldn't we call the social services? I know. <laughs> I know. It seems absolutely incredible, doesn't it? It does. We were just... Uh, we've just we were been, just talking to, to Mick Houghton, uh, who's the author of a book about Andrew Lauder. And Andrew Lauder, at the age of 16, lived up in Northumbria, I think. Northumberland, and he, well, um, he yeah, said Andrew is the legendary A and R man who signed Doctor Feelgood and Man and Hawkwind and yeah. all kinds of people. Um, and but, he said uh, to his parents, "Look, at age sixteen, he said." And his mother said to him, "Look, one of your get, friends. I was in a shop the other day, and one of your friends said he was going to go he's down. Got, to London he's got a job at the Savoy. Job. No, he's got yeah, a job. Got he's job. got a job. Why don't you go with? When him? you go with him, so he goes there with nowhere to live. It's absolutely fantastic. And what he decided to do is just to go to the New Musical Express, the Record Mirror, and the Melody Maker. Just walk in and say, "Have you?" got any jobs and so he went to the first two and uh, they were there the, the enemy i think had moved and so he finished up in denmark street went into a music publishers 
in Denmark Street. Just said, have you got any jobs? And he said, well, you know, what can you do? They said, they well, said how do you know, pretty much? You know. Yeah, how do you know? And he said, well, I just just wondered. You know, he said, well, actually, we have, and we need someone to do a bit of indexing or whatever it was, a bit of clerical work. And he started that, either that afternoon or the next morning or whatever, started his entire career, just literally by going in and knocking on the on, on the door. Absolutely. So, it's fantastic, really. Yeah, yeah, university's got a lot to answer for, really. It, it has. <laughs> delaying, delaying the point in life where people, you know, feel feel capable of launching themselves into the world, you know. Whereas in those days, you just set off when you were 16. Absolutely extraordinary. God, I remember that when I was at Smash Hits meeting our new publisher, a gold mate of ours called Tom Maloney. And uh, I'm discovering that he was about five years younger than me when I was the editor. He was the managing director yeah, yeah. of the company. Yeah, how did that happen? He, he hadn't been asked about, yeah. about at college. You know? He hadn't been asked about, he left school at 16. He was a publisher when he was 19. I think he was the MD when he was 22. I, thought, yeah. I didn't think I'd even start, I hadn't got a proper job when I was 22. No. I just got out of college. Unbelievable. Yeah. Did you see the story about um, LPs actually outselling CDs in the USA last year? No, um, no, I've not seen that. This is... Um, this is it's a, it's a kind of story. There's been there's been kind of false alarms on this story for years because the thing that always goes on is they always say, "Oh, they're out. They've outsold CDs for years." And no, they haven't at all. It's just they've been counting value. They've been counting the the money spent rather than the units. Whereas in the United States in the last year, LPs in units terms sold more than CD. Not in the UK. But they did in the US, and uh, and so that's um, it's obviously being uh, you know greeted with kind of hosannas in the press as if it meant anything. I don't know. I don't know what it means at all. The thing I worry about is that um, is that people will no longer consider it worthwhile to produce CDs, and I can't see records ever replacing CDs as a standard unit. Of, of physical product, you know what I mean? Because records Because LPs decay. are just obviously just too cumbersome and complicated and, you know. Uh, well, yeah. Well, you know, I can understand why people like them. It's very in- interesting. I was just, I was reading a thing the other day about, I was writing something about, um, you know, the kind of, the advent of Napster and so forth and, you know, the, it was 1999, I think. And, um, and you know, before that, the record companies are starting to realise 1996 that, um, you know, music will eventually be something that travels down phone lines. At some at some distant point in the future, they probably thought it was going to be, you know, but anyway, it's going to travel down phone lines. And and the, and then many of them were reflecting, whoopee, well, this will be great because we won't have to deal with all that all that cumbersome packaging and so forth. We don't want to have to deal with the physical nature of the product. We'll just be dealing with music plain and simple. And it's quite interesting that, you know, because if you follow that through, you know, you think to yourself, how many big legendary musical acts have come along since the advent of, of streaming being the main means of, of people getting things, you know, how much of people's affection for to the do business record is to do with owning physical product? It is because, going and buying it and taking it home and it's mine. This is my and, and, copy. Yeah. 
But it's also, I think, you know, record store day is coming around again, isn't it? You know, and... Um, no, so I, when I, are you I, saying that 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 era ended and, and the sort of streaming, well, it's, sort of 20, it's sort of 21st century, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know? And it's just the, the reverence accorded to the earlier stuff grows all the time, it seems to yeah. me, because it's just distant. Yeah. And, you know, so what you have... This is my off the top of my head analysis, Mark. Yeah, okay, take it for what you will. Okay, most people are quite happy streaming music and don't need to own it or anything. They're not bothered about it. They just like the idea that you, you know, it's like turning on the tap, you can listen to anything you want. And when they don't want to listen to it anymore, they won't. And then you've got some people who won't want to own, and they prefer the CD because they just got used to the CD and, and so forth. It served them really well. And then when you've got, you've got this subculture of people and what they really like about the LP is the, is the inconvenience of the thing. Completely. They love the inconvenience. There's lots the of people who I follow on Twitter, actually, people like that, and it's all about the ceremony. They're sat there, <laughs> usually at about 6 o'clock every night. There's a little thing, Danny Baker's a really good example, yeah. There's a little thing saying, uh, record now playing. And it's the idea that they've sat down, they've carved out this bit of time, then maybe there's somebody else in there. Probably not, probably just them and a glass of red wine. But that's the whole thing. And they're sitting there looking at the sleeve. But it's also, and this is an interesting example of how the old and the new work together in really unpredictable ways. I think it's hugely to do with social media. I think it's hugely to do with saying, look what I've got. You well, know, it's showing off, isn't it? And my, my daughters always say to me, if you want to know why people go to Glastonbury, Instagram. Yeah, is why completely. People yeah, they do. It's, I'm it's having a, more fun than you. I can I can look like Kate Moss. I've yeah. got the same green wellies and, and so forth. Same you know, puffer jacket, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm having amazing same shorts. Time. And yeah. I've I've paid three hundred and fifty quid or whatever it is for the for the privilege. And so it's intriguing to me how how the very inconvenience that was that that we seem to be waving goodbye to with the advent of downloads and streaming has been actively embraced by you know, a, a lot of people, undoubtedly a lot of people. Absolutely. Who spend more money than probably anybody's ever spent in, in the history of the record business in buying stuff. You know, they, they just like it. That They like the inconvenience. That's my point, really. That's, you know, they, they um, you know, every, everything else seems too easy, really. Have you ever seen anybody post a thing saying, this is the CD I'm listening to? Because I don't think it I doesn't, have. It doesn't work. It's I've weird done, because I, I've done it occasionally because it, it just doesn't work. And it doesn't CD, work. It could be the same record. No, it's the vinyl version, but nobody yeah. cares. Well, nobody the, C, the CD. Well, okay. If you if you if you show an LP, you're not just advertising you know, Jefferson Airplanes volunteers or whatever plucking your record out the yeah out the ether. You're also advertising your association with with the past. Yeah. And when things it's the were, idea you've had it a long time. When things were proper. 
Yeah. <laughs> when it was all fields all around world. here. All fields. <laughs> it's, it's all world, you know. And um, a CD is just what you could have bought it yesterday and your copy looks the same as everybody else's. Which yeah. Else. yeah. Fair enough. And, you know, the CD will never have any, I think they call it materiality. Um, whereas the... Um, Whereas the record does, and of course, the another thing I read today is that the the cassettes coming back, you know, and people are, people are gonna 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 make um gonna make compilations for their for their nearest and dearest. And I with, find that hard to believe actually, because the problem with the cassette was it's a liability. You'd spend ages making a cassette and then give it to somebody within two weeks, it's bust. You know, it's got tangled, it's got it's got eaten up by the dashboard of your car. You know what I always found in your car because there are no cassette players anymore. What I always found about doing cassette compilations, not that I ever did a lot, I know some people who did them all the time, is that um, you start off and it's like a fantasy radio program you're doing. You you got a punchy opener, punchy follow up, you know, something different. And you curl up your toes with delight at the pace of it all. And then as a ballad, yeah, halfway through. And this particularly applies if drink has been taken, which yep. it very often has, yes. Very often the thing that people will do on a Friday night or whatever, and they'll disappear to their the little den yeah. with a bottle of red wine or <laughs> a, large, a large glass. And uh, halfway through the second side of the tape, as it would have been in those days, they think, I know what I'll put on here. I'll put on some really long, zany, cutting-edge track. Because that's what I'm in the mood for because I'm pissed. That's right. You're forgetting someone else. The person you're making this for would hate this. You know? And then halfway through, you think, oh, what do I do that I know. for? But you, you're committed then, aren't you? You, know, yeah. you just do it and you're scuppered, you know. <laughs> but anyway. It's wrecked the rhythm of it. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's the LP, the CD, and the cassette all dealt with. You're listening to The Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. I'm grateful to Andrew Slattery. I sound like Cyril Fletcher on That's Life. He used to say, I'm very grateful to Mrs. Hinge from Stockton Monty. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm grateful to Andrew Slattery for following up on, we were talking about Wayne Shorter last week, and I was saying how on all Weather Report album covers they would always have uh, Joe Zawinul, who's a keyboard player, would always list all the keyboards he played, and then afterwards Wayne Shorter would just say saxophone. And so I don't, I don't know if uh, Andrew just made this up or whatever, or, or he found it on an album cover. But it goes like this: Joe Zawinul, Rhodes electric piano, Yamaha grand piano, Oberheim polyphonic synthesizer, melodica, melodica guitar. guitar. Tabla, modified Rhodes 88 electric piano, acoustic piano, ARP 2600 synthesizers, sequential circuits, Profit 5 synthesizer, Mutron, Mutron bi- bi-phase, bi-phase, and, and Mutron, Mutron bon- volume one effects, <laughs> Kalimba, Thumbeki drums, sleigh bells, hi-hat, keyboards, ARP quadra synthesizer bass, Bass, Korg, Vocoder, VC10, Ponto synthesizer, clay drum, drum computer, tambora, tack piano, percussion, organ, steel drum, Ode, Mizra, 
West African talking drums, xylophone, cymbals, and vocals. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Wayne Shorter, saxophone. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, I couldn't help but think that he must be doing that. There must be some kind of sponsorship arrangement there where he's trying to get as many people in. But that's very it. cool. I know I we're doing saxophones. Not even singing. I just Stop love that. the idea that Wayne says, that's all I need. Thank yeah. you very much. No, thanks. You can have all this, all this tackle. You know, Alex Golds always says that the thing, things that musicians care about more than music. Well, he is it's always very interesting on the subject of the things that music musicians care about. He always says food is one of the things that they care about mostly. Touring musicians always care about food. But the other thing he said to me I've got a theory about touring musicians and food. Oh, go on. Which is that if you travel with bands and you give them food, they tend to just eat absolutely vast amounts <laughs> because they don't know. When the next meal is coming, they just don't know. I mean, you know, okay, so it's 12 o'clock, we might as well eat, because we may not, we might be in a van, there might not be time before we go on stage. So they already eat absolutely enormous meals. They'll be eating enormous meals at four in the morning, because I may not eat again for another 24 hours. Bizarre. So food is one thing that musicians are obsessed with, but the other thing that Alex told me this years ago, and it's made a big impression on me, I've thought about it a lot, what they like more than anything else in the world is equipment. Yeah. They're like toys. And they always think they're like golfers. The golfers, like golfers. golfers think, oh, think they're I'm one just, club away from perfection. Yeah. That's, if that, I just had the right piece of kit. There's a new glove, yeah. whatever it is, that's going to make me as good as Rory McIlroy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, musicians And the like golf that. merchandise and equipment industry is based on that very thing. <laughs> it's testament, the same, actually. Testament yeah. to that very fact. It is. And uh, but uh, you know Wayne Shorter was not like that at all. Wayne just needed his saxophone. That would that would do him fine. Anyway, we've been reading this um, really interesting thing. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that that probably better in a, on a web page than a, than it would have been in a magazine. But it's a, it's a good idea for a, for a feature. 
uh, kind of. It also has the most fantastic headline, doesn't it? Genuinely good headline. The headline is 50 Genuinely Horrible Albums. By brilliant artists. It's good. Idea. I think that's a really good headline. It's a pretty is, good idea for a this is this is Rolling Stone by yeah, it, but by genuinely it. horrible and by brilliant artists. It's just so well done, isn't it? Because their theory is that everybody, everybody that you really like, not everybody actually, but most most acts that you really like at some stage have made a record that has absolutely no redeeming qualities. <laughs> and there's a variety of different reasons for that, aren't there? I've, I, I'm just going to read a few. I've got. I'm just got number fifty in front of me. Is 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 it's hard by the Who? Came out in 1982. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard it, but I'm perfectly prepared to believe that it's an absolute stinker. Yeah, I, a lot of these I hadn't heard actually because they're so bad you hadn't heard. Yeah, they, yeah. absolutely. No, they, I didn't kind, know they existed. They they've kind of crawled away into a corner. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, Billy Joel, the Bridge, uh, Van Halen, Van Halen Three. The Grateful Dead built to last. It goes on like that. And uh, I think the worst is, um, is it Kanye West album? Is Kanye West, I had never heard, yeah. But no, they made a really good point. They said there is no genius without a touch of madness. Because I, I thought, I mean, multi-album deals are a lot of part of it. The 80s too, a lot of those records in the 80s. A lot of them. So much money, but Billy Joel's The Bridge, Aerosmith's Nine Lives, Carol King's Speed. The 80s somehow legitimized. So many records were sold that uh, people took their eye off the ball and just put out whatever. But my feeling is that there were lots of, there were lots of reasons for it. Some of just groups that just run out of steam. Yeah. The Stones, Emotional Rescue and Steel Wheels, terrible records. REM's Around the Sun, which I remember hearing, actually, Peter Buck said, it, it sounds like what it is, a bunch of people are so bored with the material, they can't stand it anymore. Because they were just, those were people just run out of steam. Bill Berry had left. They kind of lost their mojo, hadn't they? Summer in Paradise by the Beach Boys, which is nearly all kind of my oh, love. Oh, terrible, terrible. Yeah. The Hunter by Blondie, I can remember that being really terrible. The, the Dead album you were talking about, Built to Last, had four songs with Brent Midland, the keyboard player, singing. Dylan, I mean, the Dylan, they mentioned Not Downloaded, oh, which Not Downloaded actually had no. France Girl Girl in it. They mentioned, then they mentioned Down in the Groove. Down in the Groove. And I think they're absolutely right. That is a terrible record. Well, he has collaborations with the Grateful Dead lyricist Robert Hunter, which is Bob Dylan collaborating with a lyricist. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I think, though, I think I've, there's one that's even worse, which is Saved. Do you know no! Saved? No! Oh, my Lord, it's terrible. No! I will not have that saved. Oh, no, it's rock. No! No! Turgid I, old I, kind of gospel rock. Give me the tracks. Give me the tracks on Saved. Read out oh, the Oh, no, no, they're terrible. They are A Satisfied Mind. Go saved on. Covenant Woman. Dave, that's a rotten song. Okay, carry on. Go what on. can I do for you? Solid Rock. Solid Rock is brilliant. Solid yeah. Rock is produced by Bumps Blackwell. It's fantastic. Solid oh, okay. I okay. wasn't sure, actually. Pressing on. on In the Garden, Saving Grace. Are you ready? I mean, I thought it was. Okay. It's got one good, good track. Got <laughs> one good track. And this, which is more than give us a year after. The groove. That's true. A year after Slow Train Coming, which has fantastic tracks on it, you know. Uh, I tell you what, I take issue with their choice of Cut the Crap by The Clash has been a terrible record. I don't think I've ever heard the whole LP, but it's That's got, just after they'd fired two members. It's it? got This Is England on it, which I think is one yeah. of the best things. The Topper Clash was out. Yes, I think right. it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, They pick on a few which I think would fall into an unwise artistic venture category. John and Yoko's Two Virgins is a truly awful Oh, God. <laughs> which is unlistenable, <laughs> inaudible spoken dialogue. The Kinks present a soap opera. I can remember hearing that. It's got bits of spoken word, doesn't it, between, I think, in, in the tracks. As has Psycho Derelict by Pete Townsend. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Rock opera about rock stars 
who's uh, who's uh, turned into an alcoholic recluse. And, and they mentioned Gontropo and Dog Eat Dog, which I thought was quite good. Dog Eat Dog, Joni Mitchell, Gontropo, the George Harrison record. Both trying very hard to get into the, the kind of fashionable synthesizer pop sound of yeah, the time yeah, and yeah. failing dismally. But the it's one a, that I thought you couldn't argue with was Van Morrison, Stop Bitching, Do Something, which is that <laughs> absolutely terrible record that he made. Do you remember 28 songs, two discs, uh, uh, the titles like Why Are You On Facebook? They own the media. I mean, you know, please, that's not going to be very thrilling. I think I was interested to see the ones included, which were records that I'd kind of forgotten about because this happens nowadays. The bands stay together so long that there will be very often whole decades that you just kind of missed. Yeah, yeah. You weren't looking at them. And so in 1985, 1995, uh, I beg your pardon, 1995, Fleetwood Mac put out Time which is when um, they had no Lindsay Buckingham and no Stevie Nicks. And um, and so they brought in Becca Bramlett, who was yeah. the daughter of uh, Delaney and Bonnie, Bonnie Bramlett, to take on the Stevie Nicks uh, role. And I think Christine McVie's there as well, but it's apparently a really terrible record. And I was, I was reading an interview, oddly enough, with Becca Bramlett. Only the other day, long interview talking about her a uh, whole career, which is quite something. And uh, and she and they she was reflecting on this record, and she said, "I realised very soon after I started, I was only bring, being brought in to get Stevie back." Oh no! Yes. Oh, <laughs> it was like it was like a a boy a boyfriend, you know, come and be my girlfriend. In order to get to make her jealous, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Make the last one jealous. She's sort of bait. Oh, that's terrible. You know, so you 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 know, you got your name on a Fleetwood Mac album, and you probably got the odd co-write credit on it, but you happen to have your name on the only Fleetwood Mac record that didn't sell. Nobody bought. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody bought at all. And so you know, they started touring with her, and uh, you know, they they. They'd barely started when uh, Stevie Nicks said, okay, I give in. I'll come yeah, back. Um, <laughs> so, so an old job back. So, yeah. It's, it's it, a it's, fantastic feature. It's such a good idea, I think. It's a very good idea. And there are groups who just haven't been together long enough to make a genuinely bad album, but if they did, if, if they were together long enough, they probably would. You know, the Blurs and the Pulps and they're all the more recent Oh, groups. God, yeah. I mean, yeah. But everybody at some stage does. So it did might, you see it? Did you see the story about the stolen records and the Northern Soul DJ? Yes, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is on the BBC website that uh, a collection of irreplaceable singles have been stolen from the home of a popular Northern Soul DJ. This is on the BBC website. Ted Massey said burglars broke into his Birmingham home while he was there, Mark. Yeah, he was, I know. Demanding he hand over the records he played during a he, set. He played earlier. a gig that day, hadn't yeah. he? Isn't that right? In, in, yeah, in yeah. Nottingham, I think. And 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 what he's saying is they the records they stole, he said, were worth between 150 and 250,000 pounds. He said there were 250 <laughs> singles, some of them worth 10,000 pounds each, but some were so rare there were only six copies in this country. So if you were the kind of person to be in the market for buying it, then you would be fully aware that it was a stolen copy. It's, it's, it's such very, a complicated, complicated it's, story. It's not easy to 
sell stolen goods, you know. <laughs> Not that I've tried, but you know, yeah. it's, ne- it's yeah, never fencing easy. Fencing Northern Soul Records. <laughs> no, no. This is just this is a bizarre story there. And this will send a shiver down the spine of anybody with a load of records, won't they? Well, anybody with a load I thought of, this I know, is the kind of thing that, that only happened to footballers in mid in middle of the week when they're playing in a European tie. And their poor wives get, you know, get burgers, they know they're away. Like, yeah, they know they're away. And they come in and... Um, but presumably, if you were a DJ and you're playing kind of rare psychedelic albums, you know, you would dare hold up your hapsash and the coloured coat record or your your rare trees record or your uh, Tintin <laughs> Abbey or your... What your, do you think? Um, if a burglar... Your original butcher sleeve by the Beatles, you wouldn't, you wouldn't advertise the fact you owned that because they'd follow you home. What do you think? If somebody turned up at your on your doorstep 11.30 at night, obviously the question of anybody getting... Any kind of you know criminal turning up on the doorstep. Give me your white, it's white not label funny. version of Camembert Electric. <laughs> yeah. What's the thing they ask for, Mark, at your house? You know, I understand you've got a copy of National Lampoon's Radio Dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really going to work. All right, exactly. Take it, take it, take everything <laughs> you want. Please take it. Oh, take it. that's unbelievable, isn't it? The Word Podcast. Walking the digital dog since 2007. Any other business? We're joined by Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm very well. I'm currently floating on a large body of water somewhere in the Caribbean. Sounds like an album title, that does, doesn't it? Floating (laughs) on a large body of water somewhere in the Caribbean. Um, He is, in fact, working. He is, in fact, working. He is, in fact, once again, playing the part of John Lennon in a Beatles tribute act on a cruise ship, which is, you know... Indeed, Alan. So the rest of us suffering through the British winter, and he's uh, somewhere in the Caribbean. So, So Alex, have you kept (laughs) abreast of the Russell Brand story? Because Dave and I always used to think when Russell Brand first arrived, Dave and I, I I first thought he was quite entertaining, actually. But very soon, and this may not be unconnected to the thing involving Jonathan Ross, where they rang up Andrew Sachs and made some very unkind comments about Andrew Sachs' granddaughter. I never forgave him for that. But he's suddenly gone kind of off the boil, hasn't he? Completely. Yeah. I, I really liked his comedy. And then when he started, <clears throat> when he ventured into becoming a bit of a, you know, um, a shaman, I sort of lost interest a little bit. And now he's he's gone a bit further, hasn't he? He's gone a bit... Just, re- just remind me for a second. Just, just come back here a bit. You... When, when was his comedy? I must have missed this. Around what? 2010. He did a load what of stand-up stuff. What did he ever stuff. say he was, really, really was funny? funny. Was he? he did stand-up and he had a memoir that was a huge seller on the back of it. I understand My that. Book, he he, right. I understand he was a huge bestseller. Because loads of people really liked him. But I can never work out what was supposed to be funny about it. <laughs> no. I just couldn't. His anyway. clothes. Yeah. <laughs> From, <laughs> I was like I'd like the record to reflect that from day one, yeah. I thought it was a tosser. <laughs> and how well, right would be? Enough. Pretty- I, th- I think comedy is quite like music in the sense that you can't be told that someone is funny. You have that's to find the funny yourself. Yeah, that's true. That's and if, true. if the funny doesn't present itself, it, it never will. And that's <laughs> yeah. fine. Totally there was fine. an amazing interview with him in 2013 <laughs> when he was on Newsnight. He was interviewed by Jeremy Paxman. He was doing his whole thing about how people shouldn't vote. You know, there's no point in voting in an election. Oh, excellent. Jeremy Paxman finished this interview saying one of the most damning things I've ever heard. There was a pause and he said, he said, you really are a very trivial man. Oh, that's I thought, withering. that is unbelievable. That's and he tried withering. to kind of get out of it. He was terribly camp, kept calling him Jeremy Darling and stuff like that, you know. 
And uh, I thought that really is damning. But now, of course, he's now been, he's been, you know, associated with, you know, with Donald Trump Jr., isn't he? And his, his podcast is put out by this kind of right-wing kind of platform in America. And, you know, he's been slagging off Biden saying, and Biden's chief of but, staff. And you know, so everyone's what, thinking he's right-wing, you know, which they just weren't expecting. Yeah, but what do you think his greatest motivation is? To change the world or to be really famous? To be really famous. I mean, he's so really go. famous. That's he's all, one of those people I think is so a, desperate for attention that he has simply changed his political position from far left to far right. Yeah, it and but, it's not it's well, not too far a shift at all. You just, no. just pop out one door this, and pop in the next one. Yeah. I read this piece from, was it George, George Monbiot? Is that how you pronounce uh, yes, it? Yes, I read the, that this morning. It was really good. Um, it was actually. And the, the theory is that he's, he's not, you know, he's not drifted the far right but he's positioned himself in front of the biggest audience on the planet yeah um you know and that's that's why oh know, yeah he's uh, got he's six million chased. youtube subscribers so it's not like he's completely in any way on the slide it's just that all the people who originally loved him feel mortified and let down that he's turned so out he's got six yeah, million yeah. youtube subscribers yeah. has, he, has he really okay yeah. how many have we got alex <laughs> we've got eighteen thousand one hundred, roughly and they're on our way and we, that's not bad. We're not, not far behind. And if you, want, heels. if you want to join them, you know, if you want to swell their ranks, please do so. You know, and uh, you know it's perfectly easy to do. There may be people worried that if they subscribe, you know, in the words of that old Tom Waits song, "No salesman will visit your door." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's nothing happens to you. It just means yeah. that. It gets fed to you in your, you know, so when you turn on YouTube, it's there, there alongside the other stuff that you happen to. Yeah, make. yeah, yeah. And uh, so please do that. And if you, you know, if you, if you find yourself in a position to vote for this podcast anywhere or express your approval, please do that also because it really matters, that kind of thing, doesn't it, Alex? It kind of it tweaks the algorithm, doesn't it, or something spooky like that? Uh, it does. It does. It, it all, does. Every, every little helps. Every little helps. Are we some new patrons to? Uh, we have. To have we? Is that right, Alex? Go on. We do. Shall, shall we ring them in? Go yes. on. Here we go. So, uh, John Skilbeck. Skilbeck. John Skilbeck uh, briefly played for Derby County, actually, in the late nineteen seventies. He was uh, he was a he was a substitute goalkeeper, but he did come on. Uh, he, he did come on when Peter Shilton was injured. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought he was. I thought he was a nineteen thirties West Coast novelist. But anyway, no, you're. Oh, absolutely. that's no, that's no, no, quite right. good. That's yeah. the, that was the other John Skilbeck. It's yeah, good, it was. Uh, so go on. Good name, John Skilbeck. Yeah. I hope the next one is equally you know fruitful. Go on, Paul Clark. Paul Clark. Paul Clark, you know, is um, he, 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 he came out of um, art school in Leicester in, in the mid-60s and came to London and, and started uh, working in Carnaby Street. Yes. Where he eventually was responsible for uh, designing uh, a range of knitwear that went round the world, all with the <laughs> Paul Clark logo. Very good. And he now he now lives on a private island just somewhere off the coast of New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) 
Next up, we have David Bostock. David God, Bostock. What, we don't we know David Bostock? It can't be the same one. It could it be. Must be the same. David one. Scoffer Bostock was the. Uh, I'm saying that this is uh, the original one of the original designers of Smash Hits magazine. Well, appears in the oh, clip wow. that David and I were circulating only the other day. Oh, Sheila Rock photographs um, Martin, Martin Fry of, of ABC for the cover, playing a saxophone in the gold lava. 1982, is that and right? And the picture right? is drawn up by Scoffer Box Bostock. It is, yeah, that's right. I'm sure that's the guy. <laughs> David Bostock must be him. Let's say it's him. That's real. Lovely to have you aboard. Yeah. Lovely to have you aboard. Go on. Uh, next up, we have Alan Colgan. Colgan. Colgan, all oh, right. Colgan. Colgan. Novelist? Yep. It could be, again, a novelist. Yes. Hard... He... <laughs> It's a forgotten winner of the Booker Prize from 1977. Yeah. Um, currently out of print, but, you know, there is a groundswell suggesting it should be republished because people are very often discovering, uh, you know, the, the merits of Booker Prize winners. And wrote one non-fiction title about Pete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. It's opposed to coal or anything. Very good. Called. Very good. Uh, yeah, okay. Is that it, Alex? It's not. We have more of the mysteriously monikered Fat Rattle. Oh, Fat my rattle. Lord. Wow. DJ, surely. Yeah, yes. Fat Rattle. Yeah, reggae DJ, I would have thought. He's the kind of the person who, whose name you would see on one of those posters that you see around London. Advertising some extraordinary event taking place at Dalston Town Hall. Yeah, posters usually oh, attached to a, a, a sort of, you know, a, 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 a central a reserve box. as your junction box <laughs> as you're turning onto a motorway. <laughs> That's right. Pasting it over a traffic light. That's right. That's it. <laughs> that rattle. Excellent. Very good. And then we have uh, three more. So we have uh, Michael Williams and Philip Hopwood, who are both annual patrons. Oh, well. Annually. Philip Hopwood's a cricketer. off. I think, isn't he? Philip Hopwood. Yeah, he opens the bat in McKend. I think he does. Yeah, he Still does. does. Yes. And, uh, sorry, the one you said before, Philip Hopwood, was Michael? It was Michael Williams. Michael Williams. Uh, plays for Glamorgan, of course. <laughs> He's a left-arm spinner. <laughs> Is he, you know, he, you know he's he can he's, can can be quite tricky, Michael Williams. Right, go on. And is that it? And last but certainly not least, uh, and uh, who is so subscribing to the clubhouse tier, which is our top tier. Oh, everything, everything early access to the quiz, your own birthday podcast. Get your own special birthday at- podcast. It's a lot of fun. Really worth yeah, doing. Yeah. And- also, uh, an invite to our biannual Word in Your Ear get-together as well. Yeah, yeah. so there's going to be another um, one coming up not long. Go on. Indeed, is a Bob Baird. Bob Baird. Bob Baird. My Bob Baird Lord. is... Um, um, broke a record for walking around the circumference of the United Kingdom in under two months. Is that the guy? <laughs> Phil Walker. Did, did all the Munros in a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Living that's solely that's on the, the guy. Yes, that's, that's him, the yeah. guy. That's, that's the it. guy. Didn't he get an MBE? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, that's right. And eventually, he finished up advertising Kendall mint cake, didn't he? Because that's what he lived on. That was almost entirely his uh, his diet for the entire trip. He did. Good man. <laughs> Love you to have him on board. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.